So I want to turn to the book of John. And um, we're going to talk about... Sorry, I said... Yeah, John, that's correct. We're going to talk about the, um, the beauty of what Jesus did when he came to earth, when God sent Jesus and, and sent himself to mankind. And sometimes the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the incarnation, God becoming flesh, is probably the most complex thing in Christianity and sometimes the simplest. And sometimes you can preach about it and it be the most complicated thing you ever preach about. And sometimes it's just the simplest thing you ever preach about. And so we trust the Holy Spirit to give us understanding and to enlighten us and to, and to uh, bring revelation to our hearts. In John chapter 1, in verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Those are two very important phrases. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. When understanding uh, the God that we serve, and when understanding the Trinity and all these things, we're not going to get too deep in, in theology tonight, but uh, we have to understand that the Word was with God, and the Word was, was God. So those two statements can both be true. <laughs> that the Word was with Him and was Him at the same time. And yet we, we understand that He says in the next verse, He was in the beginning with God. So Jesus was in the beginning with God as the Word of God. Not as a, not as a, a formed uh, human being. He didn't become a human being until He came to earth. But as the Word of God, He was with God. And it says this, All things came into being through Him. How do we know that? Because God said, let there be, and things were. Everything was created and held together by His Word. It says, all things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Some translations even say the darkness could not overpower it. It says this, there came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. Did you hear that? It says the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. So the light had to enter the world to enlighten us. And he says this, He was in the world... And the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. So we have to understand the truth that the world's first introduction to the Word was not when Jesus first came. That was their introduction to when the Word became flesh. But they, he said he was in the world, and the world was created through him, but the world did not know him. And it says this, he was in the world, the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So there's that very important truth that as many, here was the qualification to whether you have the right to be called a child of God or not, it is not about your parents, it's not about where you were born, it's not about what language you speak, or what color your skin is. It is as many 
as believed in Him. To them He gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We were born not of blood, not of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And He says this, And the Word became flesh. Huge thought. When we talk about incarnation, we talk about God becoming one of us. And, and, and you know, the word incarnation doesn't pop up a lot, but here's the concept of it. The word incarnation, as you might hear, you hear it's, it's a, it comes from a Latin word, which we understand to be incarnation. So something becoming flesh. You hear that, that carn in there, right? If you order a chili, chili con carne in, in, in Mexico, then you're going to get chili with meat. You know, that's flesh. And the word became flesh and dwelt, lived among us. And we saw His glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is one of the best descriptions of Jesus Christ you'll find in the whole Bible that first chapter of John the word became flesh and lived with us lived among us ate our food breathed our air experienced our difficulties came and lived life with us and what happened was it wasn't that Jesus went on an exploratory mission found out what life was like for us it was that we saw who he was and we saw God in our own flesh there's something huge about that. It's like, I've heard someone describe it like this before. Like if you created a little world of two-dimensional characters, and these little 2D characters were walking around, and you created them, but they never really could get who you were because you're 3D and they're only 2D. They're walking around little pieces of paper and they don't understand what your life is like. But you want to come and 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 reunite yourself with them let them know who you are show them who you are you become one of them you become two dimensional like them even though you came from a three dimensional world you, you come and you take the same form as them and you show them what you would look like in a two dimensional world now you have the limitations of a two dimensional world you see Jesus did not always have those limitations it wasn't like God could be anywhere at any time but somehow Jesus couldn't now they were one so Jesus took on the form of man, took on every limitation we had, took on every issue we've had to face, conquered it, yet embraced it. And so we see that He said the world became flesh. And, and it says it was the glory that could only come from something that came straight from God. It was the glory that could only come at something that was directly part of God. It was full of grace. It was full of truth. He said, we got to see it. And we understand that Jesus uh, served two giant purposes. Now, there were big, more purposes than this. Uh, the Bible says, for, the, uh, for this purpose was the Son of God manifest to destroy the work of the evil one. Well, He certainly did that as He walked the earth. But the number one way he destroyed the work of the evil one was how? Through the cross and the resurrection, right? He put it, he made a show of them openly. He triumphed over them. He took the keys of death, hell, and the grave away from them. He took the power of death away from the devil. All of that taken away. But you know, there's another purpose to Jesus coming and being with us. And that was this, that we got to see who God was. We got a good look at who he was. 
Jesus said, you've seen, if you've seen me, you've seen him. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Colossians says that all the fullness of everything that God was, was in Jesus in bodily form. Everything God was. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, but Jesus didn't show us one side of God. He didn't show us the good side of God, the nice side of God. He showed us the fullness of God in our form. Now, there were things that you've got to understand. There are things about God that, that couldn't be con- contained in a human form, but He showed us His nature, His character, His desire. You watch, and what, watch what Jesus spent all His time doing, and you find out what God cares about. Do you realize that if the only point of miracles was just to prove that Jesus was... Div- was of divine nature, that Jesus was the Son of God. If the only point of miracles was to do that, don't you think Jesus would have picked different miracles? Why were His miracles always healing the sick, raising the dead, feeding the hungry? You see, if He wanted to show that He had power, He could have just moved a mountain. He could have just caused lightning storms to, co- to spell the name in the sky, My name is Jesus. But how He showed who He was and the character of God was by embracing humanity and healing humanity. Because that's what He came to do. He came to restore that which was lost. And He would ultimately accomplish that through the cross and the resurrection. But He showed us a preview of that as He walked the earth and healed what had been broken by the curse. A man born blind through no fault of his own or of his parents, despite the disciples who thought somebody messed up here for this guy to be born. You know why the man was born blind? Because the world is broken. And it's been broken. That's why there's earthquakes and floods and all these things. The world is heavy under a burden of the sin of mankind. It's not the sin of one nation. It's not the sin of one continent. It's the sin of all humanity has broken our planet. And the only fix is God Himself. So the man was born blind, not because anybody sinned, but simply because the world's broke. And He says, but here's the end game. The Father will be glorified in this. Not in the man's blindness, but in the fact that I came to reverse what Satan broke and what man gave up. I came to turn it around and break the power of the curse of humanity. Redemption came through Jesus Christ. Grace, truth came and was shown in Jesus Christ. And so we understand that when we celebrate Christmas, I don't care if you celebrate on December 25th or if you celebrate it all year long and say, I don't care for decorations, that's fine. That's fine. You don't have to put up decorations. I love decorations. I love decorations that mean something. I love to understand what the holly means. I love to understand what the greenery means. I love to understand what the evergreen means, victory over death. But you know what? If you don't want to decorate, you don't have to. If you celebrate on August 23rd, it's not a big deal. But we do need to commemorate the fact at some point that this is a great moment in human history when God became one of us, put boots on the ground, and rescued humanity. That's worth celebrating. It's more than just, well, Jesus was born and He lived a great life and we saw a great life. We saw God. You look through the Old Testament. 
And you see these weird rituals. They seem weird to us. But they all had a purpose. Do you know that everything that priest had to do on the Day of Atonement was to cover, not even for just... I mean, here we're talking about, in Hebrews it talks about, the, the, I mean, it talks about those who waywardly sinned, like those who sinned, not even knowing they were sinned, but carried sin about them because they did not have the power to overcome sin. There were people, I mean, people that weren't even trying to displease God, people that weren't even consciously rebelling, were still falling short of His mark. And everything that God created through the old covenant with His people, the Israelites, was to bring them closer to Him. Because without the atonement, without the shedding of blood, there would be no remission of sins, and no one could stand anywhere near His presence. But yet we see and we look, and when you dig, you find out that everything they did was just a temporary shadow of what Jesus would do once for all. And what animals couldn't do and what sinful priests couldn't do, Jesus accomplished. But still, through all of that, we see this one message. And I think it's most crystallized in the book of Hebrews that contrasts the Old and the New Testament. The, the main message I see is this. Come closer. Come here. Because everything broken in the world, everything messed up, Everything perverted and everything crooked comes from a separation from God. Everything. The only darkness in the world is from the areas that have been shielded from the light. The only evil in the world is places where God has not been allowed to rule. And so we see that God's solution to that was not to tell you to do better. God's solution to that was to come near and bring Himself into a broken situation and heal it by His very presence. Everything He did, oh, once a year, one guy got to go into the Holy of Holies. And then we find that Jesus, through His blood, doesn't fix the old way. He makes a new way into the presence of God. And he says, come here, come here, come here. This is the message, come closer. And you can come anytime. What a good life. I mean, Christmas is awesome. Because I think of that moment that Jesus showed us just how close God wanted to get to us. Stinky us, how close God wanted to get to us. Matthew, we're going to go to the beginning of the book. Tonight, I want to read from the start of Matthew and the end of Matthew. Because there's a common theme. Right at the beginning of Matthew. We're going to look at this message that the angel gave when he appeared to Joseph. We, we read on Sunday about the angel Gabriel appearing to Mary. But here's the moment that he appears to Joseph and, and what he says confirms the prophecies. He says this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. We don't, we don't know that this is Gabriel, but we can make the assumption that it most likely is. He says this, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, 
For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. What does that mean? Yeshua means Jehovah saves. It means it, it can mean it can mean it in two different ways. It can mean that Jehovah saves, or it can be an exclamation, save Jehovah. Either way, it talks about God coming to save humanity. What I love is the fact that he doesn't just say, that's what I've come to do. That's his very name. You will call him Jehovah saves. Yahweh saves. You will call him God came to save you. And then he says this. That's what you will call him. For he will save his people from their sins. Now watch how he refers to him. Jesus will save his people. Why? Because what do we know? We know that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, though, though different parts, though working in different ways, are all part of God. And we know that God, like we've said before, did not have a little boy running around heaven all, all throughout eternity having a little boy who played on the swing set and, and uh, just said, one of these days, one of these days, Daddy, I'm going to do something. We know the Word became flesh. God did not send a substitute. He sent Himself. And while Jesus walked the earth, He walked the earth as a man. But He walked the earth as a son of God. And He referred to God as Father. He didn't just talk to himself, right? He talked to God as Father. So there's some, there's some tough stuff to wrap your head around because you realize that they're the same. And yet while he walked the earth, he said, he said, there are some things I don't know that only the Father knows. And you go, wait a minute. I thought you were the same dude. Yes, but, but Jesus walked the earth with certain limitations as man. And the Father God, he said, I don't do anything unless the Father tells me to do. I don't say anything unless he tells me to say it. And yet He was God. And we were His people. And it says, He came into the world. He came to His own. And they didn't recognize Him. But He said, in fact, in, in, the, in the, that same chapter of John, we didn't read all the way there, but it says, No one has seen God, but Jesus explained Him. Now, when we see that word explained, it doesn't mean that Jesus taught about Him and explained it through word. It means that Jesus demonstrated God to us. That Jesus showed us God. And that's what he said. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I've shown you the Father. In fact, he said, I've shown you the Spirit too. When he talks to his disciples and said, I will leave you the Spirit, he says, you already know him. He's already been with you. So the disciples knew the Father. They knew the Spirit. And they knew the Son all in one person. Because he did what the Father told him to do. And he did everything by the Spirit. They worked together perfectly, didn't they? We understand that, that God did not just find a patsy. He took it upon Himself to accomplish redemption for all of us. And it says this, Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now what's interesting here is he says, you call him Jesus. 
they will call him Emmanuel. But you see in the Gospels, you don't find any place where somebody actually used that name to, to address him. They didn't, they didn't say, hey, Emmanuel, over here. He, hey, Manny, over, over here. They, they didn't come up. Because it wasn't his name as in what you called him if you wanted him to come over here. It was who he was. It was his name in the sense of that's what he came to do. That's who he was. Emmanuel meaning God with us. They will call Jesus God with us. That's who he was. God with us. Jesus showed us God embracing our humanity, embracing our form, embracing our culture, embracing everything, and bringing us back to Him. They will call Him Emmanuel. They will call, you will call Him Jesus. Jehovah came to save you, to rescue you, to redeem you. And they will call Him Emmanuel. God came and He lived with us. He came and He dwelt among us. And you know what? He didn't just come. You see, if you think fleshly, if you, if you limit yourself to what you can see and hear and touch, you think that Jesus was, I mean, that God lived with us for 33 years at the beginning of, of, uh, beginning of Anno Domini, that he, he, he came uh, and lived here for 33 years. Then he left as soon as he could. But the Bible tells us very clearly that he's never left. That that inaugurated a new age where God was once again reunited with children. And you had to accept that, right? Because he said in the beginning of John, to all those who believed in him, he gave the right to become the sons of God. The qualifier was believing. And if you believed in him, he gave you the right to be called a child of God. What a beautiful thing that Jesus did for us. What a beautiful thing God did for us. God with us. Let's turn to Hebrews for a moment. Because in Hebrews we find out that Jesus became something that he wasn't while he walked the earth. Not, not at least fully. But what he became to us through his death, resurrection, and exaltation was he became our high priest which means ah, our advocate our our mediator he became the one that's on our side he's the one that sticks up for us he's the one that 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 completely takes away our sin not just covers it up like the animal's blood did like walking around a junior high and smelling the smell of Axe body spray that every junior high boy just thinks, I don't need to shower. I can use a lot of this and it'll cover up the smell. And added bonus, the commercials say the girls love it. And meanwhile, you're walking the halls and choking because it's so strong. And it's not covering up anything. It's just replacing one smell with another smell. And in Hebrews, the Bible says that the blood of animals could not take away could not make perfect the consciences of those who sacrificed. They could merely cover. It was just a cover. It atoned. But Jesus, the perfect sinless Lamb of God, here's what He did by being a man and staying sinless. He completely removed 
the sin. Did not just cover it up, completely removed it. Completely and totally removed it. That's why he's the more perfect sacrifice. In fact, that's what I love about the book of Hebrews. It says, here's all these things that were good. Now here's the better and the perfect. So that your priests, he says, your, your priests were good. But Jesus is a better priest. Your sacrifices were good. But these are perfect and better. Jesus is perfect, better, and final. No, no, no. You're, the, the angels are good. But Jesus is high, high above the angels. And he says, all the, the old covenant was good. It was the best thing going. Sometimes we bash it, right? Because we have a new covenant. But think about not having a covenant at all. The Israelites had it really good. The old covenant was still a covenant, people. <laughs> this was still a promise from God, a, a covenant, a blood oath with the children of Abraham. This was a good deal. But the new covenant is better and perfect. The law was good. <laughs> but the word of the living God that we've received through Jesus Christ is perfect. Perfect and good. Now it says this in Hebrews chapter 5. Actually, let's start in Hebrews chapter 4. The end of it. Verse 14. It says, Therefore, since we have... Thank God we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast, hold on tight our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. We don't have a high priest who just doesn't get what we're going through. He says this, But one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin, I mean, and sometimes we, um, <laughs> we, we, we turn the temptation of Jesus Christ into like a three-minute play because there are three big ones that he gets challenged with. But, you know, he's in the desert for a while. And he, it says here he was tempted with all things. So I've got to believe every possible thing you've ever been tempted with, he was tempted with a variation of that same thing. As weird and as, 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 as awful as it sounds... He was tempted, yet without sin. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's a problem when you entertain that. It's a problem when you let it in, it becomes lust. Jesus didn't do that. He immediately countered with the Word of God. And it says, He is tempted, but He tempt, was tempted with all things as we are. Now listen, He wasn't just tempted with, with doing evil things. He was tempted with uh, weakness. He was tempted with the with the thought of of quitting he was tempted with the thought of of growing tired and giving up but he didn't ever give into that and it says this therefore let us draw near this is the this is the result because we do have a good high priest and he knows everything you're going through and he he doesn't just know it because he saw it he knows it because he experienced it and overcame it let us Draw near. Come closer with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. That is why he's a perfect high priest. 
chapter 5 says, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided since he himself is beset with weaknesses. So that means that the high priest in the old covenant had to be taken from among the people because only a man taken from among the people could understand what the people were going through. He wouldn't be too needlessly harsh on them because he too had his own weakness. Now notice it says the ignorant and the misguided. Doesn't necessarily say he was dealing too nicely with the downright, outright rebellious, but even the ignorant and misguided fell short of the glory of God. No one met the mark. And the priest had to come from the same lot because he had his own issues. And he dealt with the same things. So he was the only one qualified to be their priest, their mediator to God, because he lived with them, lived among them, knew what they were going through. Here's what it says. And because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins. As for the people, so also for himself. So he can't like not offer sacrifices because he needs a sacrifice as much as they do. He's got his own sin. So it says he's obligated. He says, I need this as much as you guys need this. So he's taken from among the people. And no one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he's called by God, even as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest, but he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you, just as he also says in another passage, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. Now listen to this. I've heard somebody say one time, now this is a little bit off topic, but because we're reading it, we'll explain it. I've heard somebody say, that's how Jesus prayed. That's how we should pray. That's how he prayed. Now friends, this is how he prayed in one instance. One very important instance. To be saved from death. That didn't mean, please God, don't let me go to the cross. Because it says he was answered. So what did he pray? To be saved from death. The, the Psalms tell us exactly what he prayed. You will not abandon my soul to Hades. You will not leave me in the grave. You won't leave me in the ground. And God answered that prayer. And he didn't stay in the ground. And he was heard. Because. He was heard because of his and I'm just bringing up the rest of that verse here. He was heard because of his piety. Now the NIV says something. I don't often quote from the NIV, but it does say something interesting. It, it, it references this. He was heard because of his reverent submission. And I believe that that's something we all can inherit from Jesus is that reverent submission. It does say, not, your will, but my, not my will, but yours be done. He says this, Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Now, this is a challenging thing because you go, how can God learn anything? He knows everything. But this is not learning like you learn with your brain. This is experiencing. Learning through experience. Jesus experienced what we have to go through. He obeyed, not just in theory, but in practice. He lived it out. He has become qualified to become the ultimate high priest. God with us. It was only God coming himself that could have rescued us and having become having been made perfect he became to all those who obey him 
the source of eternal salvation. I love that. The source of eternal salvation. That means, I mean, when salvation is eternal, it doesn't just mean uh, that you'll be saved at the end of the time. End of time. Eternal salvation means all the time, beyond time. It's a source of eternal salvation. It's a, it's a, it's a well that never runs dry. He is the source of our continuous and forever salvation. Being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, which explains why Jesus' uh, mother and father were not of the priesthood of Aaron. They, they didn't come from Aaron. Elizabeth was of that family. But you look at the genealogy of Moses, or Moses, genealogy of Joseph and Mary, and you find out they both were of the royal lineage. So you might have some people saying, how could he be a priest? He wasn't of the, the, the tribe of Aaron. And this is where God says, he's of the order of Melchizedek, who is not appointed because of his father or his mother. He's appointed because of the will of God. Concerning him, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. We won't go any further. But what's so cool about this is finding out that Jesus did so many things when he came to the planet. I mean, think of all the things he did. I mean, he didn't just come and pay a, a bill and leave. Like dad showing up at the jail when you got in trouble and bailing you out. And getting out there as fast as he could. Come on, son. You know, it's never happened to me. I'm just imagining. <laughs> this isn't what God did. Jesus lived at least 33 years with us. It's a long time. And he didn't live outside of time. He lived in time. In our world, with our issues and our smells and our people, even people that hated him. And he embraced it. And he did all of these things. Think of all the things he did. He showed us what God looked like. He healed us. He cast out evil spirits. He raised the dead. He qualified to become high priest because he dealt with every issue we've ever dealt with. Then, he bore our grief, sorrow, sin, sickness, and every evil thing we've ever wrought on ourselves. He took the punishment for these things, took it on himself in the cross, and paid once and for all. And then, totally humiliated and annihilated the forces of darkness, took the power of death away from death itself. The death-dealing power of Satan was stolen from Satan. He has no power to deal out who lives and who dies. That was taken from him. Eternal life is completely held in the hands of Jesus Christ. So he has the power to save whoever calls on his name. He doesn't have to ask permission for your soul. He owns the rights if you'll just call on his name. He took the power and it says he set us free. In Hebrews it says he set free those of us who through the fear of death had been made slaves all of our lives. Completely set us free. Then exalted to the Father. He wasn't done. Even though His work was accomplished, even though He said it is finished, He is now eternally our High Priest who eternally lives to make intercession for us. Forever. What 
a deal this was. You can understand why all of history spins on one hinge in 33 years what Jesus did for all of time, for all of creation, for, for centuries and millennia. It all came down to 33 years. He fixed everything. He fixed everything. Emmanuel, God with us. Now watch what he says at the end of Matthew. Watch what he says at the end of Matthew. We know he sent us his spirit. He says, it's good for you if I go away. It's better for you if I leave you. Because if I leave you physically, I'll be with you always spiritually. I will send my spirit to you and I'll never be away from you. See, when Jesus walked the earth, he could only be with the people who were in physical proximity with one man. But if I leave... And if I lay this physical body down and I ascend to the Father, I will send you a helper. And He will be with you at all times. And He will lead you and guide you. And He will bring to your remembrance the things which I've shown you. And everything He hears the Father say, and everything He hears me say, He will disclose to you. So it's a good thing that He went to be with, with His Father. It's a good thing that He left this earth because now we're with Him at all times. Each individually, we carry His presence. He says this in the end of Matthew. The last sentence in the book of Matthew. Remember the just in the first chapter, we saw him say, and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Right? What's the last thing he says? He says this. And we're going we're gonna to start at, at verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them. This is right before he leaves physically. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore. Now, therefore, what does that mean? Because of what I just said. So the only reason you're able to go and you're commanded to go and you're told to go, the only reason he ever said that to you was because all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to him. So you don't just go in weakness. You go in power. He says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, the last thing he says in this book, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Emmanuel was not a temporary term. God with us did not end when Jesus left this earth physically. Lo, I am with you, even, always, even, unto the end of the age. Wow. Emmanuel. Man, he came. And when he hit this earth, you see, he didn't ever leave. We think of it like he left. Like he temporarily, like God temporarily occupied our planet. But this was a permanent deal. When he set foot on this planet, he never left. His spirit remained. And his power is in us. And he left us the body. And I love, remember we quoted from Colossians where it says, All the fullness of everything that God was, all the fullness of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, everything God is, was, and ever will be, dwelled in Jesus in bodily form. What does it say? All the fullness of God. Fullness means there's nothing there's nothing missing. It's everything, right? The fullness. And the next verse says, and in him you've been made 
the literal Greek says, full. All the fullness of everything that God was lived in Jesus. And in Him, through Jesus, you have been made full. In other words, He never left and never will leave you. And everything that God has, everything that God is, is available to His children, to His sons and His daughters who call on His name, who believe in who Jesus was and what He came to do, and call on Him as Lord. This is huge. I mean, you can't walk through the mall and hear those songs and not feel something. Listen to them sometime. Listen to Silent Night. Listen. I mean, you know the Wesley brothers, Charles and, and, and John Wesley, who set fire to England through revival in the 1700s. Whose who's preaching and, 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 and influence also had such a, a, a great impact on the, the great awakening that swept North America. And Charles one day pens a song, a great hymn speaking of who Jesus was. And he calls it, Hark, the Herald Angels Sing. These songs were written by men and women who knew God. And we go through the shopping aisle and hear them at this time of year. I mean, let it become real to you. God with us. O come, O come. Emmanuel means God with us. And He didn't leave. When He came, He stayed. And He fixed humanity. He fixed what was broken. And if you'll let Him, He'll fix what's broken in you. But the only way it gets fixed is by His presence. By Him being very present in your life. Now He promised He'd never leave. You open up all the corners and the cracks and the closets and everything else and say, come, fill this house. And He won't leave. And He'll fill it. And He'll fix it. And He'll heal what's broken. And He'll heal the cracks. Sometimes there are things through your whole life that you don't realize He's working on, but He is. Emmanuel is one of the greatest phrases. One word that changed everything. Emmanuel. God with us. When Adam walked with God in the cool of the garden and knew Him and understood Him and God spoke to Him as one does His friend, just walking together, the first thing that sin did, the first thing was cause them to see their own nakedness and cause them to run and hide from the very presence of God to try to separate themselves from His life-giving presence. Remember, it says, in Him was life. That's where life is. It's in Him. You want life? It's in Him. He's the very fountain of it. He's the very source of it. There's no way outside of it. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I do not offer you the way, the truth, and the life. I am the very way. I am the very truth. I am the very life you need. And we can't find it anywhere else. And we can't find fixes anywhere else. And we can't find salvation. We can't find any healing. We can't find any answers to our questions outside of who He is. And so when Adam separated himself from God, he separated himself from life. That's what God meant when He said, you eat this, you'll die. You'll be separated from Me and I'm life. 
And that's what Jesus did. You've got to realize how beautiful it is that, that Paul writes to the Corinthian church, namely, here's our message, that God was in Christ reconciling, bringing back the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. What a Savior. Embraced us. Gave us the biggest gift we could ever get, which was Himself. Offered up for us, but at the same time, living with us. And, 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 and we got to see what He looked like. We got to see God and we'll never have to turn away again. We have not come to Mount Sinai. We've come to Mount Zion, where the living God dwells. And the blood speaks better things for us than the blood of Abel. Instead of judgment, it speaks mercy. Instead of guilt, it speaks innocence. Thank God. What what a, what a day when we celebrate Christmas we are celebrating the greatest moment in history and I count a moment as those 33 years that God came and fixed 